All right, well, good morning. It's good to see all of you, and let me invite you, as we do each week, to open up a Bible. And this morning, we're going to be going to Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible, as always, we'd love to have you follow along in a Blue Pew Bible you can find in front of you. Matthew 25 can be found on page 830. And kids, it's good to have you with us in the service this morning. Um, I only heard a couple groans when AJ announced that on the video. Um, One might have been right next to me, but that's okay. Uh, It's good to have you here regardless, and it's a good week to be here because we're in the final week of our vision series that we've called Stewarding Grace. And our aim throughout this series has been to grasp the story that we are invited into together, God's story of grace. Not just to listen it, uh, to it, not just to acknowledge it, but to like participate in it. And the reason why I and why we at Grace talk so often about the idea of story is because everyone in the world sees themselves living in a story that they perceive in the world. Everyone has some kind of story that they see the world through and then try to align their lives with it. They might not be able to articulate it, but there's a story of the world everyone lives in. And it's the thing that uh, is the foundation of your motivation, uh, of your purpose. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? It's because of the story of the world that you see and want to participate in. Your day-to-day life, your thoughts, your actions, your words, what you do, what you don't do, is all through this lens of what is the story of the world that I perceive? And so what we essentially see in the Gospels, amongst other things, is Jesus restorying the lives of his disciples. The Gospels show Jesus restorying the lives of his disciples. And then equipping them to go on to plant churches that are based on this story of grace and rooted in the gospel. right? Churches that are rooted in this good news that Jesus Christ has given an offer of redemption to sinners. And and, and a restoration for all of fallen creation. right? That, That the story of grace... And so if you're here this morning and you profess to be a believer, um, like here's the good news. You don't have to write your own story. You don't have to figure out your story of the world and try to live within it. Rather, God invites us into participating in his story as a steward of that grace. So that's kind of been the kind of overarching theme of this series. And where we really want to see ourselves as a vision series is that we are a church we are a local church, and the local church has been central to God's story for 2,000 years. All places, amongst all peoples in all times. Um, you know, even hearing Ben pray about this morning, about all the news that we woke up to and kind of saw take place throughout the day yesterday, what's happening in the Middle East and Israel. And maybe some of you uh, read some things, saw some things, and, and, and you're rattled, and you're coming in this morning, like, shouldn't we be talking about this? Shouldn't we be trying to be figuring this out? What does this mean? Where are things going? Understandable. Maybe have some of those feelings, those fears. But I I firmly believe more now than ever that the thing to talk about on a morning like this morning is the local church. Because in 2,000 years, you know how many empires have rose and fell? You know how many people grabbed power and, and lost power? You know how many wars have broken out that have shaped the trajectory of history? 2,000 years. And all the while, the local church persevering. All the while, the local church growing, strengthening. Where believers from every tribe and every tongue and every nation are orienting themselves and their lives collectively around this vision to steward grace, to know Christ, to make him known. That's the story of the world. That's the story we've been talking about. 
And the way that we at Grace Church seek to participate in that story in order to provide clarity to you, to provide direction to all of us, is through these signposts of gather, grow, give, and go. And so we've taken a week on each of those markers, gather, grow, give, and go. Last week, Pastor Ben preached on go. So if you missed any of those sermons or all of those sermons, I would encourage you to listen to those online. Uh, you can go to our YouTube page, Grace Church of Ridgewood. Uh, we have a podcast feed that's just for our sermons called Grace Church of Ridgewood as well. You can get audio of all our sermons. And so this morning, to finish off, I just kind of want to put an exclamation point on this series. I have a pretty simple aim this morning. is to unveil a picture that is painted throughout the New Testament of the future. To unveil this painting that I think is the reason why it's all over the New Testament is that it inspires movement in the present for the people of God. Here's the picture. Picture this in your mind's eye. Of one day, you standing before the Lord. Whenever the Lord decides. It could be today. It could be a long time from now. But there's a day coming when you will stand before the Lord and hear the God of the universe say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the picture. And it brings us now to Matthew 25. It's a chapter that includes this parable that's commonly known as the parable of the talents. Parable of the talents. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this parable. Uh, But the first thing to know about it, even before we read it and unpack it and apply it, is to see where it is located. Uh, It takes place what we know and refer to today as Holy Week. Uh, The days leading up to Jesus being arrested in Jerusalem, his trial, and his crucifixion. And so Jesus is talking about the end in these final days leading to the cross. He speaks about the end of the age in Matthew 24. If you're familiar with Matthew 24, it it kind of, you know, perks you up a little bit. There's some things in there that are hard to understand, some things in there that are a little kind of scary to read. And then after this parable in the end of chapter 25, he will talk about final judgment. And when he will return in his second coming. And in the middle, there's this parable. And that placement of that parable gives us the main point. I'm going to give you the main point before we even read it. The main point is this. In the period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, do not be idle. Do not be idle. As we wait for his coming, we work toward it. That's how we're going to end this series So let's go to Matthew 25. Parable that we're going to be covering starts in verse 14, and we're going to read it through verse 30. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also had who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given." And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This story is pretty simple to grasp. It's a little alarming, but it's fairly simple. I want to go through it. And then provide two main things. This means for the local church. That is seeking to steward grace and close this series out. To understand this parable, we need to understand the word talent. Um, in our day, we know talent, and we use the word talent to mean ability, right? So-and-so has a special skill that makes you stand out. You have a special talent. It distinguishes you from the rest. But that's not the best way to view the word as it's used here. Um, in the Greek, a talent was simply a unit of me- measurement, not an ability. It was a unit of measurement, not an ability. And because if you look at verse 15, if your Bibles are still open, look down. It says, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. So it would not make sense for the master to say he gave ability according to their ability. So a talent is simply a a unit of measurement. And in this case, it's uh, kind of casted in, in the version of money. But the best way, I think, for us to interpret this parable is to see talent as two words. Opportunities and responsibilities. Talent is opportunities and responsibilities. The master, the king in this parable, gave opportunities and responsibilities to the servants to invest and to multiply. And as Jesus is telling this parable, he is indicating that God gives his people talents. God gives his people, God gives you opportunities and responsibilities to invest to multiply for the glory of God and for the expansion of his kingdom. The first servant was given five. He invested it and turned it into ten. The master returned. He was commended for his work. Well done, good and faithful servant. The second servant was given two. He turned it into four. And when the master returned, he was commended for his work. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the third servant was given one, and he buried it and returned it back. And when the master returned, he was condemned for his laziness. The first two welcomed into the joy of their master. The third cast it out into the darkness from his presence. That's the parable. And the point is clear. Jesus is saying this near the end of his life. 
to let us know that the people of God live in between the first coming and the second coming of the king. And just like the servants in the parable, we've been entrusted with opportunities and responsibilities as we await his second coming. And we're called to something. We're called to not be idle. That's true for individual believers. That's true for our church. And so with that said, two exhortations this morning. Hopefully to be encouragements as well to finish this series. Number one, Grace Church, while we wait for Jesus, we are called to the work of investing, not idling. Investing, not idling. I want you to notice the amount of opportunities and responsibilities he gives to the people are not equal. Did you notice that? He did not give equal amount of talents. To one he gave five, to another he gave two, to another he gave one. But here's the thing. The servant's value was not contingent on their talent. Right? It was the sovereign wisdom of God to give each to them however much he gave them. It's not that he loved the one with the five more, so he got five. The two he loved a little bit less, and then the one he loved least of all. That's not the story. It was according to what God knew they could handle. They did not get equal opportunities or responsibilities. Um, when Paul writes in Romans 12, and at this point in the book of Romans, he's giving applications and exhortations to the church. He writes this, Romans 12. It'll be on the screen. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Great verse. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Here's what we know we talk about often. We are all made in God's image, but none of us are an exact imprint of one another. There's a lot of people in the room right now. There is not a repeat in this room, nor in this world. We are all unique. You are a one of one, as they say. And so, too, is the measure of grace you have been given, the measure of opportunities and responsibilities you've been given. So here's the question to all of us as we end this series. Am I serving Christ with what he has given me? Am I serving Christ with what he has given me? Am I investing what I have been given? Or, hear me, am I idling because of the frustration of what God has given to others and not to me? I think a big obstacle for believers in the church today is they struggle to invest themselves because they are constantly comparing themselves to the way God has gifted others, to the opportunities God has given others, or to another stage of life that provides more opportunities than you can have in your stage of life. And that leads to this bitterness towards God. It leads towards bitterness towards the people you're called to serve with, rather than investing what you do have. Grace Church, as we move on from this series, do not be resentful of your assignment or jealous of other people's opportunities. Let us serve well and steward well the grace-filled opportunities and responsibilities God has given you and do not get stuck wishing you could steward someone else's life. Uh, Next, uh, and I think equally as important, the first two servants display that stewarding grace means whatever work you are doing, you work first and foremost for the king. We heard that a couple times in the video leading into the sermon. 
That every aspect of your life, not just your job, every aspect of your life, every opportunity, every responsibility he has entrusted to you is to be done unto the Lord first. This is a game-changing, a paradigm-shifting approach to your life. Okay, so when you're working at your job, if you're working in a job right now, you're not first doing it for your boss. You're not first doing it for your clients or to provide for your family or even to build yourself up in the industry. You're doing it first and foremost for the glory of God. In your marriage, your marriage is not first for the fulfillment of your spouse. Your marriage is not first to meet your needs. But it's to be married for the glory of God. Uh, Kids in the room, elementary school, middle school, high school, you think about your friendships, uh, the sports you're playing, the hobbies that you're in. Uh, Think about your homework and your studying, your applications for college. You're not doing that for your coaches or for your teachers or first for your parents or for your own status. No, you play and you study and you live first to the glory of God. It's a game changer to invest in your life in this way. To make much of him first. It is beautifully freeing to invest your life in this way. Freeing. But the third servant, as we saw, he was idle. And idle doesn't necessarily mean not working. Right? We talked about this in our Proverbs series this summer. Um, Laziness is not just not working, but it's not working to the glory of God. Okay? We're, We're told that he buried the talent the master gave him. But it's not that he didn't work. It's not that he was um, uh, lazy and just kind of sitting around all day. It's that he was working for himself first. He woke up and he thought about himself. He woke up, he thought about his work. He thought about his status. He thought about what he can build in his own empire, his own name, his own fortune. So investing is not just working hard. It's working for the glory of God. And what matters is faithful, energetic service regardless of circumstance, is is, is waking up with the spirit in you, faithful, energetic service in whatever area of life God has called you to, not the size of the return. The servant had five. He multiplied it into ten. Got the same response as the one who was given two and multiplied it into four. The response was the same despite the differing amount. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what I had given you. The question to ask leaving this morning, am I serving Christ with what he has given me? That's true for us individually. It's also true for us collectively as a church. Grace Church, guys, we can't do everything that churches can do. We don't have the resources to do everything. We don't don't have the ability to emphasize every kind of ministry that we could possibly do. And the good news is we don't have to be good at everything. Uh, I I certainly feel this tension as a pastor. I think our staff feels this as well, where we can spend more time lamenting what we can't do rather than investing what we can. Uh, There's a guy named Carl Vaders. Carl Vaders wrote this little book called The Grasshopper Myth. The Grasshopper Myth. And it's based on a line in Numbers chapter 13, when the Israelites were sent by Moses to go spy out the land to spy out the promised land. But do you remember, they came back terrified because they saw so-called giants in the land. And they came back, and there's this line in Numbers 13 that says, and so we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. We seemed weak, unable. 
And it leads to an impression that when you look at the, the vast problems in the world, when you think about all that needs to be done, you think about your church, you're just one church, regardless of size, and you feel like, what are we actually doing here? What impact are we making? And he has this quote. I, I just added this quote in, so it's actually not on the screen. It's my fault, not the tech team. So just listen. Carl Vader's writes, There is no ideal church size. Every size meets the needs of the people who seek them out. Sometimes what we call a plateau in church is simply a church reaching its optimal size and then using that size to grow healthy fruit. One of the reasons we often pray for other local churches in our Sunday gatherings is to remind ourselves we're not the only church. And that is good news. We need different churches, all different sizes, denominations, strengths that are united in the gospel, but investing in the ways God has wired that church. And listen, in Bergen County, we don't need less churches, right? We're not competitors. We need 50 more. In this county, 50 more. And the way that happens is investing your life, investing our life together. Here's the final aspect of this point before we go to the second one. When we talk about investing your life, it's not just your giftings. It's not just your talents, but it's also investing your suffering for the glory of God. Of not leaving God in the midst of life's hardships. Investing your worship in the midst of tears. And trusting God can use you in your pain to still make an impact. All right, so there might be just a couple of you in this room who know the story of a woman named Leah Stanton. Leah Stanton, on March 2nd, 1932, Leah's 10-year-old son, Harrison, was killed by a freight train here in Ridgewood. The Ridgewood Herald writes this on March 4th, 1932. Two days later, it'll be on the screen. Harrison Stanton, age 10 and eight days, son of Mr. and Mrs. Stanton, of 385 Wastina Terrace, was instantly killed on Wednesday afternoon when he was struck by an eastbound freight locomotive as he went on the tracks. It is believed to recover a piece of paper bearing an arithmetic lesson marked 100%, which had been blown by the wind out of his hand. He was a pupil of the fourth grade at Willard School and always proudly exhibited his lessons at home. The recovery of his treasure is the only explanation that can be given for his leaving the west platform, going across the eastbound and westbound tracks, and retracing his steps to an eastbound track where he met his death. The tragic accident caused general sorrow throughout the village. It was the first fatality of its kind. Leah Stanton and her husband were devastated. At the time, they were active members of the Methodist Church here in Ridgewood. What's more horrifying is the article would go on to say that Harrison was on his way from school to the church to join his mom where she was leading an after-school program. I cannot imagine that pain. I look around the room this morning. I know that some of you can, more than I can, due to tragedy that you've experienced. Unfortunately for Mrs. Stanton, it did not end there. 
few years later, her husband would die suddenly of a heart attack. And unthinkably, her daughter would also die in a tragic accident, leaving her to be a widow with one remaining son named Calvin. Leah Stanton had a life, you could say, marked by pain, suffering, plenty to be resentful of, bitter about, towards God first and foremost. But she stayed near to God. She invested her pain out of her trust for him and still was on the lookout for opportunities and responsibilities that God had given her to steward well. Fast forward to 1946, 14 years later, after Harrison was killed by a train, there's another newspaper clip that says this on the screen. On October 6th, a meeting was held at the home of Mrs. Leah Stanton at 385 Wastina Terrace, Ridgewood, and under the leadership of founding pastor Larry McGill. Charter members established Grace Church of Ridgewood. It is not a stretch to say that as we sit here today, October 8th, 2023, almost 77 years to the day that Grace Church was founded, that it was founded, and you're here today, here, in part because there's a woman who invested her life, even in her pain, to the glory of God. While we wait for Jesus to return, we work We invest the opportunities and responsibilities God has given us, and we do it all unto the Lord. That's first. Now we finish with number two. Grace Church, we are called to the work of stewarding, not squandering. We are called to the work of stewarding, not squandering. Uh, Most of you, like me, hear this parable, and you immediately think about the individual opportunities and responsibilities we've been given to steward, to do something with. We're called to do something It includes that. We just talked about that. But here's how I want to finish. It does not start there. This is important. It doesn't start with the things that you've been given in order to do something. It begins with the fact that the master gave to all three, not by their merit, but as a means of grace. None of them earned it. We're told nothing of what they've earned. Merely that he came And gave to them. Grace means unmerited favor. It means an unearned gift. A gift given just because. Have you ever been given a gift just because? Have you ever given somebody else a gift just because? Right? Doesn't it throw you for a loop? Doesn't it throw them for a loop? Like it feels so unnatural. Like wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. There's got to be a reason for this. What's the reason? What did they do? What did I do to deserve this? What's the reason? Tell me the reason. To give someone something, to write them something. What was it? This is why the story of the world I talked about at the beginning, the story of grace is such a scandal. Like we need a reason. But God doesn't. God gives because he gives. And these... Three servants are first and foremost called to steward grace, not talents. First and foremost, these three servants are called to steward grace, not talents. Because before Jesus gives the church resources, before he gives spiritual abilities, 
and opportunities and responsibilities to deploy, he gives us something to receive, namely the gift of himself. Before stewarding grace is about what you do for others. It's about how we view God and ourselves. The third servant tragically squandered grace. Did you see it? Squandered it. He rejected the call to live in the freedom that it provides. Instead, he, he buried it. And when the master returned, he said, I know you to be a hard man. Do some of you view God that way? I, th- 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 there's a fear, an unhealthy fear. I knew you to be a hard man. I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want you to lose it. So I hid your talent. Nobody could find it. But here, have it, have it back. That's what it looks like to squander grace. To say to God, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to choose my own story to live out. Not yours. I'm going to choose my own glory to pursue. Not yours. I get to decide how to live my life. Not you. But the first two servants were good stewards because they were willing to receive grace. They were willing to grasp the gift of grace and then live out of the freedom that it brought them. Grace Church, as we leave this series and move on, before stewarding grace is about what we do for others. It's about how we view God in ourselves. And the blessing of multiplication is a multiplying effect of affections for Christ on your own. That's where the multiplication starts. Right? Spurgeon said about this verse, he says, He who has faith shall have more faith. That's the multiplication. He who has a taste for divine things shall develop a greater appetite for them. Uh, the, the phrase I've been using throughout this series is the importance of being anchored in the gospel. Grace Church, we need to be anchored in the gospel, anchored in this free gift of God's grace. And the danger of any church, but I'd say especially a church called Grace Church, is to make it in name only. To move too quickly past it. Like it's the front entrance of your house, but we want to quickly get through the front entrance and get to the rest of the house. What else is in here? But God's grace in the local church is not the front door. It's the foundation that the whole thing rests upon. And so stewarding grace means prioritizing grace. Making sure it is centrally focused in our gathering, in our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry. God's grace is front and center. In our growing, and our seeking to grow in spiritual growth, it's done through grace. And the way that we give of ourselves, our time, our talent, and our treasure, it's done with the foundation of grace. And it equips us all to go and to make much of God's grace. So that anytime somebody comes to Grace Church, anytime somebody encounters someone from Grace Church, they get a glimpse of Him. What a vision! They walk away thinking about him. You know, it reminds me in the 1990s, a reporter asked Michael Jordan, how do you have the motivation to play like that night in and night out? Best basketball player in the history of the world, how do you do it? Just every given night, random cities on the road traveling, how is it that you can do that night in and night out? And Jordan said something along the lines of, every single game, there is some little boy or some little girl that's in the arena for the first time. 
someone whose mom and dad got them tickets, invested their time and their money, their opportunities to get them to the arena, and how much they've been looking forward to this moment. And so every single night, there's an opportunity to give that little boy or that little girl a memory they'll never forget. When people encounter Grace Church, both in our gatherings or in our people outside of this place, do you know it's an opportunity for someone to encounter Christ, maybe for the first time? To see him, see how life-changing he is, to hear the invitation into this story of not needing to be good enough on their own, that that can stop, that can be over, that story can end, and you can start a new story, the story of grace. Jesus tells this parable, the parable of talents, to exhort his disciples to not be idle as they wait. And then you know what happens from this parable? I mentioned a little bit earlier, but he'll proceed to go on to speak about final judgment coming before the Lord. And from there, do you know what happens? The next scene in the story, the next chapter in the book of Matthew, he gets arrested. And what's unveiled in that moment is the pathway that he took to fulfill the reason why he came in the first place. Church, as we end the series, let us end with a reminder that Jesus did not remain idle. He goes to the cross despite doing nothing wrong in himself so that he himself, for the joy set before him, can take on God's judgment against sin. So you don't have to. Jesus was not idle. And this is the scandal of grace. Jesus went to the cross. You know why? Just because. Just because he loves you. And to offer you the new gift of life, of eternal life. Friends, if you're in here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ... My goodness, do not squander it, but steward it, and stewarding it begins with receiving it. You are called merely to respond and receive, to repent of sin and believe. And for those of you, by God's grace, are believers, in response to receiving that grace, walk out these doors and invest. Don't be idle. Stay close to Jesus, even when it's hard, even in your pain, even in the midst of your doubts and your struggles, or your interaction with professing Christians who look like nothing like Christians. Or you're struggling in your own internal kind of turmoil. Stay. Stay near to him. There's a novelist, Frederick Buchner, who wrote that it's impossible to prove the existence of God. And so somebody asked, like, what do you do when you doubt how, how can you prove it? How can you know? What do you do when you doubt? What do you do when you come across a believer who does not act like a believer and makes you doubt? He writes this. It'll be on the screen. In the last analysis, you cannot pontificate but can only point. A Christian is one who points at Christ and says, I can't prove a thing. But there's something about his eyes and his voice. There's something about the way he carries his head, his hands the way he carries his cross, the way he carries me. 
So at the end of the day, you do not solve the mystery. You live the mystery. Stewarding grace means living out the mystery. When you know Jesus, when you love Jesus, you don't have to have the pressure to live a certain way, to stand his good side. You have the opportunities and the responsibilities to work with freedom to the glory of God, to gather, to grow, to give, and to go. And so now as we close, I finish with a question that was at the end of the video before I began. God has called us all to participate in the story of restoration by his grace, and you are invited to play a part So we leave it to you. How about you? What does your go look like? I'm going to ask us all a little bit different. We're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand now before we pray. You know, there's often times in this church where we do a commissioning. And we have somebody up front, maybe a missionary, a new person on staff, new elders. and And we commission them. We commission them for the work that God has called to. Well, to finish stewarding grace, we commission the church. Here's what I'm going to have you do. It won't be weird. Don't be weird. I want people on this side to just turn and face the people on that side. I want people on that side to turn and face the people on my side. All right? Make your initial eye contact. Make it awkward. All right? I want you to look at one another because you are commissioning one another. And we gather here and then we scatter from here. United in the gospel, united in the call. All different kinds of work in this room. All different kinds of ages, all different kinds of backgrounds. Diversity in this room. Unified in our vision. To know Christ. To steward his grace. And to make him known. So as you stand facing one another, bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Father, I pray this morning with everything I have in me, with a conviction and a desire that we at Grace Church would steward well, that we would not squander, that we would invest well, that we would not be idle. Father, keep our eyes fixed on you. While we wait, Lord, allow us to live out our lives the way you have called us to, to know that you are the God of grace, You've invited us into the story of grace. Keep us near this morning. I especially pray for those in this room who are at this very moment, they're struggling, struggling to hang on, struggling to stay near to you, can feel themselves drifting. Father, keep us near to you. Keep us near to one another. Let this moment remind us nobody's alone here. We're doing this together. And you've called us to this church at this time to glorify your name. Father, make it so that is your name, that's the name above all names. And we pray all these things, and we close this series out for the glory of your name, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.